and welcome to the Dr. Frankavilla Show. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Frankavilla, board-certified family physician and diplomate of the American Board of Obesity Medicine. I've been helping patients lose weight to treat and prevent medical problems for the last 10 years, and I'm taking what I've learned from them to you. In this podcast, you will learn the science behind why you struggle with your weight and what to do about it, tips for common challenges, work to fight bias about what a healthy weight really is, and improve your relationship with food and your body. Please remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. This podcast is meant to be informational in nature only, not medical advice. Please seek out care from your physician for your specific needs. Okay, let's get started. All right. Well, today is a very exciting day on the podcast because we have our first guest. Today, we have Dr. Angela Fitch. She is the president of the Obesity Medicine Association. She is an internal medicine and pediatric obesity medicine physician. She's the former co-director of the Mass General Weight Center in Boston, and now she is the chief medical officer for Known Well, a new in-person and virtual primary care and obesity clinic that will launch in Boston and across the country soon. So thank you, Dr. Fitch. Thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Thank you for having me. So today we are going to talk about something I think you and I are both really passionate about, which is anti-obesity medications, right? Medications that help with weight loss. So before we go into the details about all of those different medications, let's just talk a little bit about why medications are important, why, you know, quote, exercise and diet are not enough. So when you're explaining to a patient why these medications are helpful or needed, how do you explain that? Why why do we need these meds? You know, people don't want to take medicine. Like, I don't want to take, nobody wants to take medicine, right? If they don't, quote, unquote, have to, right? But I think that, especially for the disease of obesity, for so long, we have said to people, you know, it's just your fault. Like you should just do better. But biologically, it's very hard to lose weight. Losing weight is not the natural process for the human body. So I'm an engineer by undergrad. So we like processes and stuff, right? Well, you know, the normal functioning of a piece of equipment is to deliver what it's supposed to do, right? And for the human body, the normal functioning is to gain weight. So we are programmed to resist weight loss at all costs. Otherwise, we would have died, you know, like in the wilderness sometime in in the past, right, centuries ago. Absolutely. Yeah, I think a lot of what you said is how I'll explain it as well. And previously in the podcast, we talked a little bit about how when you try to lose weight, for those biologic reasons, your fullness goes down, you don't feel as satisfied, you feel more hungry, There, your metabolic rate maybe is going down, there may be some changes in hormonal regulation. So there really is all these biologic factors that are fighting our ability to lose weight or lose very much weight. Right. I mean, you know, even in our best lifestyle studies where people are coming into a, a place and getting counseling once a week and they have a whole team of people that are like looking out for them in a research study. I mean, the average weight loss is around two to five percent. It's not a lot of weight loss. It's good for you. It's good for all of us. I mean, especially given that 70 percent of the United States population has some excess weight that they could lose. Right. It's good to lose that two percent or that five percent or even maintain your weight is a huge accomplishment in today's world, you know, to not gain weight, you know, which is the sort of natural occurrence. But even just you know, more, in the yeah. best studies, it's hard to lose weight. Everybody thinks it's not hard. 
right? I mean, because the world makes us think like it's just easy if you just did this or just did that or that you wouldn't agree more. I think, think that people do get told it's easy. And, you know, I think acknowledging that most people are not going to have these really large weight losses that they might be told they could have with nutrition and exercise alone, right? There certainly are those success stories. You and I have met them. We know them, but that's not the norm, right? Most people are going to need something else to really have large amounts of weight loss long-term. And that's where medications can really come in as a tool for a lot of people. And it doesn't mean you don't try to see if you're one of those people, right? The studies show that about 5% of people or less are able to lose 20% of their weight. So if you think about that in terms of numbers, right, if you weigh 250 pounds, you know, 20% of your weight is 50 pounds. It's not unreasonable to want to lose 50 pounds if you weigh 250, you know, to be 200, right? But that's a 20% weight loss. And only, you know, less than 5% of people are able to do that with a lifestyle intervention. So it doesn't mean you don't try to do that because you might be one of the 5%. And if you are, great, you don't need medicine. But it doesn't mean you try to do that for 20 years, like over and over again. That's what I'll see, right? I'll see someone who comes in and they have tried everything. They've tried many different nutrition programs, exercise programs. They've had personal trainers. They've done a lot of things and they, they may have had some success, but they find that they always are going back to that set point, right? They're always going back to where they were, sometimes higher and they feel like it's their fault. And so I think what medications are acknowledging is it's not your fault. It's biology. And the wonderful thing about medicine is we have all sorts of tools that help us fight biology and it's 2022, almost 2023. Like let's use those tools. Exactly. Just like we have tools, you know, for cancer treatment or for hypertension or uh, cholesterol, right? We didn't have those tools for hypertension back a hundred years ago and people died of hypertension, right? I mean, they, you know, so it was a choice, you know, you take medicine and you, you treat the disease, And thank goodness that we developed medicines that treat hypertension so we don't have strokes and we don't have as many, you know, deaths from kidney disease and other complications of hypertension. But the same is true of obesity. It's a disease like any other disease. It's complicated. And just like kidney disease, just like hypertension or high cholesterol or heart disease, you know, it's a complicated process that thank goodness we've developed an armamentarium of treatment options, surgery, medications, other procedures to help people be successful. Otherwise, we can keep spinning our wheels, I guess, you know? So probably most people listening aren't that familiar with medications at all. So let's tell, let's tell the listeners what's available, like what exists, what, what are some of those options and maybe some of the things we've seen through some of our experience with patients. So the first class of medications that I usually talk about with my patients are what we call the sympathomimetic amines, which is a, a mouthful. These medications are really old. Phentermine is the, I think, oldest of those. It came out in 1959. So I always like to joke that it's older than my mom. It is an old medication. And so we know a lot about it, which is a really good thing about it. And uh, there's a few other medications in this class. There's diethylpropion, benzphetamine, fendimetrazine. But at the end of the day, there, there may be pros and cons to which one should be used, but they all work more or less the same way. So it's really up to, you know, the doctor 
doctor to figure out which, you know, side effects or dosing or timing makes sense within all these meds. But, you know, these meds that are fentramine or like fentramine have been around a really long time. That also means that they are generic, right? So generic means really affordable. So they are very accessible. We know a lot about them. We, we sort of like if they knew if they were going to cause, you know, kidney cancer in people, we would know that by now, right? So we know these meds are tolerated well. We know they don't do anything crazy. Again, we've had a really long time to study them. When you think about these medications like Fendermine, what are some of the pros and cons you see for your patients? Yeah, I think like you said that, you know, the inexpensive nature, you know, because traditionally over the years, obesity has not been as covered as a benefit for people on their insurance. So that's the other challenge that we have in this, in this treatment of this disease is that there's not as many, a lot of people might not have a lot of options that are available to them through their insurance. So fentramine is great because it is, like you said, it's really cheap. It's only like $10, you know, at most pharmacies. And then if you break it in half, you're getting it for $5 a month. It's very inexpensive you know, treatment to take. And so that's one of the, the the huge advantages of it. As you mentioned, it's a sympathomimetic. So it is a stimulant type of medication, similar to caffeine or something, you know, of those sorts. So some people might not tolerate that as well as others, right? Some people are yeah. like, I can't have a coffee or I'm like, you know, on edge all day, right? Or I can't go to sleep at night, even if I drink a coffee at 6am, right? So again, if it has the potential to disrupt your sleep a bit, most people can get used to that, you know, can acclimate to that, and it's fine. But for some people, you know, these these sorts of issues that that stimulant nature of the medication, make it harder for them uh, to tolerate it. But if they don't have a problem with that, a lot of people don't have problems with, you know, a cup of coffee or two or three or six, <laughs> You know, and those people a lot of times will do great on something like fentramine. Yeah. And, you know, as we talk about these meds, they, they work different ways, right? So this group of meds, the, the fentramine type meds, the sympathema medicamines, they work a little bit more on like hunger, right? So some of the meds we'll talk about later work a little bit more on, on fullness. And those are different things, right? So I find fentramine, the people I see who do really well with it were like the snackers. They're the people who throughout the day, like they're like, Oh, I'm walking by the kitchen. Like I'll grab something to eat. Oh, I'm in the break room. There's some cookies. Like they just constantly, you know, could always eat. They always feel hungry. And what I'll notice for my patients when fentramine really works is they just go from breakfast to lunch and they're like, I just didn't think about food. And then it was time to eat again. And I went from lunch to dinner and I didn't think about food again. And so I find that it really helps a lot of times with snacking for, for people. Exactly. And you want to emphasize that, right? Because what we don't want to do with any of our drug, any of our medication treatments is, is have people not eat right at all. You know, so like, yes. Again, on the other side of that, a lot of times if I have a patient who says, you know, I don't eat all day and then I eat a lot at night, right? Which is a lot of people, a lot of us like that where we just are so busy during the day, we don't eat and then we go home and we eat too much at night. Well, that might not be a great person for fentramine because, you know, by the time they they take the fentramine in the morning and you have to take it in the morning because otherwise if you take it, I mean, too late, you can take it in the afternoon also. There's a, you know, there's a dose you take three times a day, even with each meal, a lower dose, but the point is you can't take it like super late because it'll just like coffee or whatever, caffeine, it'll keep you up, right? So, you know, recognizing some of these traits, this phenotype, we call it in medicine, right, of patients, like what am I like? Like what is my biggest struggle? You know, am I always hungry or am I just not as full so that when I eat, I eat too much or I eat larger portions, you know, when I do eat because I don't feel full as, as quickly. 
Yeah. And I think sometimes it can be a little hard to identify that for yourself. We definitely try to help our patients figure that out by, by asking a lot of questions, but sometimes you don't know that until you oh. take the medication too. And then you're like, yeah. Oh, is this how other people feel? And a lot of people too, you know, might be both, right? So there's like, you know, there's people that also, you know, struggle with snacking and also struggle with having larger portions. Great right? point. And it is acceptable to use many of these medications that we're going to talk about today in combination. I certainly have patients that are on multiple medications and they do well having more than one medication that's working different ways. So, you know, again, weight is complicated and we may need to treat it more than one way. I have people who have surgery, right? And they're still on medication after their bariatric right. surgery because there's multiple different things that that they need um, help with in terms of appetite and fullness and metabolically. And again, we should reemphasize that that's not a failure of anybody, right? That is a need for multiple interventions to treat a disease, just like you might have, you know, a cardiac cath as well as open heart surgery, as well as take cholesterol medicine, right? You're treating the disease in multiple and you're following a healthful diet and you're, and you're exercising and you're stop smoking, right? For your heart disease. So you do all these things in combination to get the best outcome. And that's really where we're getting at with obesity treatment today. Yeah. And that's a great point, right? Like these medicines, you know, I'd be fine with it if they were, but they're not quote a magic pill, right? They are a medicine that helps people stick to their nutrition plan, helps them enact the goals they had without sort of the biology getting in the way, right? So it's a tool that helps, but we still always recommend that people when they're taking the medication are eating a healthy balanced diet are exercising on a regular basis, right? That they're taking care of their health in other ways. And the medicine is one of those tools that is going to be be helpful and make those changes add up more, right? So for people who have, they've exercised, and they've eaten the right foods and they're like, why isn't this adding up? A lot of times the medication allows those changes to really add up and make an impact. Exactly. And, you know, as you mentioned, like one of the, maybe one of the next things you'll talk about is that, you know, with fentramine in particular, that's a pathomimetic class, we tend to add another drug called topiramate, which is another class of medication traditionally used for epilepsy or seizure treatment, but now is also added on because when we combine the two together, we get even more efficacy. We get even better outcomes, you know, for patients. And so many patients will ask me like, well, should I take them both at the same time or should I take one and then take another and see how I do? Well, and that's an individual question or individual process, but we tend to combine them even from the get-go because we know the combination tends to give people a better outcome or better results, more weight loss, essentially. I agree. So that's a, a great transition to sort of a, the next net on the list, which is this fentramine topiramate combination or brand named Qsimia. And that has also been out for, gosh, 10 years, I think, at this point. So not a new kid on the block. And that basically makes the fentramine work even better, right? It's just almost a stronger version of the medication. So with fentramine, we see maybe on average a 7 percent weight loss, right? Somewhere around there. I certainly see people who have 20% weight loss on fentramine, right? They're fentramine responders. But I think we get closer to about 10, 11% weight loss from the medication when we add that topiramate component. Topiramate, it does work a lot better with the fentramine. It does have some side effects that I think people should know about. So sometimes people will feel a little like brain fog on that medicine and really common for people to get something called a paresthesia, right? Some numbness and tingling in their fingers goes 
goes away when you stop the medicine, but happens to, I think about a quarter of people. So pretty common side effects people won't like. And the big thing I always mention with topiramate is that if you are a woman who could get pregnant, you should not take topiramate because it is known to cause birth defects while you're taking it. So that is something that we especially watch, you know, for women who, who could get pregnant, but otherwise can be a really, really effective combination and until like 18 months ago or so was the most effective weight loss drug we had, right? That Qsimia, that fentramine topiramate combo. We're going to talk about the newer drugs that are super exciting, but I think that was the most effective drug until, until our newer advancements this past year. It, it, it was. And again, as you mentioned, right? I mean, there are still people, you know, with fentramine topiramate, the combination medication, about 15% of people are able to lose 20% of their weight. I like to talk in this 20% weight loss category because 20% weight loss is really where, you know, a lot of people feel the difference, right? Or people notice the difference, you know, more so than other categories. It doesn't mean the other categories aren't important, but if you keep it all the same, you know, that so 15% of people with fentramine topiramate lose 20% of their weight. That's, you know, that's, you know, you might be one of the 15%. We talked earlier that lifestyle alone, about 5% of people are able to lose that 20%. So now you've, you know, tripled your odds, so to speak, you know, by taking that medicine of being in that 20% weight loss category. Yeah. So like, you know, worth trying. And unfortunately, where we're at with medicine for pretty much all medications in all fields, right, is a lot of it is a little bit of trial and error, right? Trying the medicine that we think makes the most sense for the patient, what side effects they might be okay with, what medicine sounds like would help their symptoms the most. But it is a little bit of seeing what what works for people at this point. I keep telling my patients at some point in my lifetime, we're going to be able to swab your cheek and just tell you what's the best medicine for you, right? But we're not there yet, you know, for the most part. So, you know, a little bit of it is, are you the person that responds and does great with that med? So that one, that was that Qsimia or the fentramine topiramate combo. So Contrave or naltrexone bupropion is usually the next one I'll talk to my patients about. And this medication also has, you know, I think around that 7% weight loss range. But in my experience, this combination of meds, you know, there's people who respond to it or don't. Either it's like the right med and it works really well for someone, or it's just not the right med and, and they might not lose really anything on it. And so um, I think helping our patients pick if this is the medicine for them. So Contrave is a combination of two different medicines, bupropion and naltrexone. Bupropion, people may have heard of as well, butrin. It is used for depression. It's also used to help people quit smoking. And then naltrexone, which actually helps with addiction to opioid medications or illegal opioids, as well as alcohol. And these two medications, when combined together, really work more specifically on on cravings for food. They have some other side benefits, right? So if someone is struggling with their alcohol use and trying to cut back but having a hard time, that medicine is already in there. Someone's already, you know, having some depression that's not treated, like that medication is in there. So a lot of times it's like a two or three for one for some of my patients with this medication with what it does. But who I've really also seen it work for is the people who just have 
food on the brain all the time. The people who identify themselves as a foodie at breakfast, they're already thinking, what's for lunch? Ooh, I want to check out that new restaurant down the street. Oh, I'm going to try this recipe. The first thing they think of when they think of a vacation is their favorite place they ate there. They just have food on the brain. They love food. Food just lights up their brain, right? And so those people are the ones I often see do do really well with this medication, sometimes in combination with the other medicines as well. That's who I see this working really well for. What are your experiences with this medication? Yeah, I would say that same thing, right? I mean, you have to, you know, look at what the options are, as you mentioned. I mean, the the drug Contrave is an actual combined pill, but the independent components are also available separately. So for a lot of people that don't have coverage for the combined medication because their insurance doesn't cover that, they can certainly pay cash for the combined medication. We can also prescribe each of those uh, medications separately. And then a lot of times patients will have coverage for that, you know, as a separate component. Yeah. Yeah. So it does. So so far we've been talking about like kind of more affordable medications, right? So the Mm -hmm. the fentramine and those meds we talked about, they're like maybe 10-ish dollars a month. That combo one, again, can be really cheap, maybe 10 dollars a month if you use the generics if you do the brand name about a hundred and same thing with Contrave. the generics gonna be really cheap if you use the brand name it's usually around a hundred ish dollars a month for people so that can start to get expensive for some people but nothing like the next category of medications so I think this is where things get really exciting and where I feel so happy that I chose this field of medicine because we are starting to have some really cool life-changing tools in our toolbox in terms of medication. And that are these medications that we call GLP-1 agonists. And these medications are the ones that are used for weight are all injections. I've been trying to find a new word that isn't injection because injection sounds really scary. And these medications are, they're like a tiny poke of your skin that lets a medicine in, right? The needles, teeny, teeny, tiny. The needles are like the size of an eyelash. Um, They're a shot you give yourself. Um, But I think people immediately get a little like freaked out when we talk about, about shots or injections. But these are not like getting a flu shot. This is not a big needle going into your arm. This is a, a tiny little needle that's like the size of an eyelash, right? Yeah. In the old days, old, old days, <laughs> um, these were twice a day medications. So you had to give yourself a shot twice a day. Now, at least they're once a week even. So, you know, we've they've made some significant improvements in the technology and the ability to deliver them where you just have to do it once a week. For a lot of my patients, they'd rather take something, you know, once a week than even take a pill or two pills, you know, every day. I have found that too. People are liking the convenience of the once a week injectable medications. So there's two that will kind of mentioned by name that are approved for weight loss as of December 2022 when we're talking about this. And that is Saxenda, which is liraglutide. That's a daily one. And that one has like, you know, I think about like less than 10% average weight loss. So so it's good. But the real, you know, star that we saw come out last year is this medicine Wagovi or semaglutide. And that is one of these weekly injections. And it has an average of 16% weight loss, right? Oh, she's got a sample right there. So yeah, you can show them like it's, it's like, it's not a big scary thing. It's super um, easy to give yourself and they work a different way, right? The pills that we talked about before were 
work a little bit more on the brain, right? And they try to tell your brain you're not hungry, you don't have cravings. And these medications, these injectable medications do have some of that effect, but they're working a lot more on the gut, right? They're working hormonally. They make you more full feeling in your stomach. They delay how long it takes the food to get out of your stomach. So you literally are full longer. And then they have some hormonal effects that look like they actually probably maybe make you even burn fat a little bit, right? Like some of this, we're still figuring out hundred percent how they work, but I guess, you know, I'd love to hear your explanation too, of how these, these medications work. Well, they are, you know, we're in a new era of treatment because now with these newer medications, you know, we talked about, you know, 5% of people with lifestyle get that 20% weight loss and 15% of people with the fentramine topiramate get that 20% weight loss. Now we're getting into the 30, 40% and with some newer medicines potentially coming out next year, we're getting into 60% of people able to get that 20% weight loss. So now you've taken your chances, you know, with a, with a lifestyle program of being one of the five, right? Versus being one of the 60%, you know, with some of our newer medications that are coming out. So again, because it works in multiple areas, because it works on your brain, it works on your intestines, it works on your pancreas, it works on your fat cells, right? So it's, it's activating the body in all these different places which is just even better for you, right? I mean, it's giving you more support in this uh, journey. And these are medications. Sometimes I think people don't want to be taking a new medication, right? Like that can be a little intimidating. Like, do we know enough about it? But this group of medicines has actually been out for more than a decade for the use of diabetes, right? So these are not new medications. This isn't like a new approach. It's just that it's now getting approved for weight loss. We're now recognizing we can use them for that and getting FDA approval for that. The daily injection, which is liraglutide or Saxenda that you mentioned, has been out for almost 20 years. Oh, wow. Okay, um, gosh. Yeah. You know, so, I mean, it's been out for a long time. I mean, our newer ones have been out for like, you know, five, six, seven years, right? I mean, and then, of course, uh, w- you know, as we start to get more and more of these in the next three to five years on the market, they will be pretty much brand new. So that'll be something, you know, again, that we might consider in our discussion with patients, you know, the fact that things are newer for some people, they are a little bit more reluctant, you know, to try something yeah. that hasn't been on the market, which is fine. That's part of the discussion. And it also, I think I, when I'm helping someone lose weight, we have to figure out you know, what's really our goal here, right? If you have a lot of weight to lose and you have a lot of health problems that your weight is already causing you, that may make sense to get more aggressive, right? Right. If your blood work looks great and you're hiking for three hours every weekend and you don't have a family history that, you know, is is really concerning that you're going to have a lot of health problems, maybe you don't need to get quite as aggressive, right? And so maybe you'll be less likely to take a risk on a a newer medication as some of these um, more exciting things are, are coming out in the next few years too. One of those, which I feel like we might as well talk about now because people are talking about it, is perzepatide or what is called Manjaro. And that came out about six months ago for diabetes. And we know that it is in trials with um, the FDA. Like the trials are, they've done trials. It's in the approval process really at this point. And it has amazing weight loss. It has a 22% average weight loss, which is like getting close to bariatric surgery success, right? And so that medicine, Monjaro, I don't know if it will have the same name or not when it comes out for weight. We'll see. But um, she's, she's shaking her head no. But uh, that medication we think will probably come out sometime in 2023, right? Like mid, late 
late 2023 if, if things go right. So I think it's worth mentioning it, that that is an exciting med that, that is on the horizon as an option and that there are some clinicians out there who are, are using it for weight already based on, on their knowledge base. So that, that may be something that people are being offered. The main thing with all these injections is they do have a side effect on your gut, right? Your, your stomach, your small intestine. And so the most common side effects really are, are sort of like nausea, diarrhea, sometimes constipation. But in the studies, like 95% of people stick with the medication, even with some side effects. So there is some um, discomfort for some people in the beginning, but most people in the long run find them them really tolerable. Talking to people on these meds, it's kind of amazing how they describe them. I don't know if you have the same experience, but I'll have people come in and they're like, I just feel normal. I feel like I had a brain transplant. I, I feel like I don't have to worry about food anymore. I just, I have this plan to eat, you know, eggs for breakfast and my chicken salad for lunch and, you know, my chicken for dinner and I just eat it and I don't think twice. And I, when I'm full, I just stop. I had someone recently tell me on one of these medications that they ate half of a piece of pizza and we're done. I was like, okay, that's crazy, right? Half a piece of pizza, who does that, right? And so these medications really let people follow the plan that they wanted, right? They're they're really not dictated by all this physiology that's telling them to store up nutrients. They can now really fight that. So I've just been so amazed at how a lot of my patients respond to this group of medications. It is, and and like like I said, currently with Wegovi, about close to... 35 to 40% of people are able to get that 20% weight loss, right? And then when we get into Terzepatide or Manjaro next year, hopefully when it gets approved for obesity, you know, we're talking about 60% of people now getting into that 20% weight loss. But it's really important also to remind patients, to remind people that we still need to get nutrition, right? Like, so just because, which is what we talk about with our patients with surgery, because after surgery, people don't want to eat, you know, and that's one of the side effects of some of these stronger medications is people really don't want to eat. Like, I mean, you almost have to kind of, right. You know, or sometimes yes, you drink. Have, sometimes people's drive yeah. to drink water is suppressed. So you do have to You're be dehydrated. intentional, right? Because right. those normal cues you might have had that were like, oh, I'm hungry aren't there. And so you have to sort of be like, well, I ate something at 8 a.m. It's now 1 p.m. Everyone else is taking a lunch break. Else. Yeah. And this is time for me to eat something. It doesn't have to be elaborate. Right. You know, it can be a protein bar or Greek yogurt or, you know, yeah, something small, people, you know, but just eat have, something, right? You have to make sure you get that protein, right? I mean, you have to make sure you get protein and you get hydration and ideally you get vegetables or plants, right? So I say my little tagline is planned portions of plants and protein, you know, every three to four hours. Yeah, I so like it's it. Like, yeah. It's like my peas, you know, right? Planned portions of plants and protein, because that's really what we need for health. Right. I mean, I tell patients, you know, we should be doing all these things for the health of it, not for the weight of it. Right. We should be having planned portions of plants and protein and we should be sleeping and we should be doing physical activity and we should be de-stressing or, you know, trying to not have as much stress in our life because it's good for us. You know, I mean, it's good for us from a health perspective, no matter what our weight is. You know, what a lot of these meds do, especially these stronger, you know, newer medications is they let food be fuel, right? Which is ultimately what it is. Food provides our body with fuel so that we can do activity, so that we can build and rebuild parts of our body. And so when we are not driven by all this biology that is telling us to store up as much fuel as possible, we really can just think, well, what does my body need, right? What would give it the nutrients it needs to do its job? So I love that, that mindset set of, you know, it's, it's just, it's fuel, right? It doesn't have to always be something crazy and elaborate. But as um, you mentioned, right, 
you have to really be intentional about it, especially when you're doing this intentionally, meaning, you know, because otherwise you just don't want to take a medicine and starve. I mean, because, you know, that no. is possible. Right. <laughs> like, you don't want, maybe, you don't want to lose too much muscle mass, right? If yeah. you're not fueling yourself with protein, you're not eating right. enough. You can get vitamin deficiencies if you're not, right. you know, eating enough. So yes, definitely want to make sure you, you are, uh, it's interesting that like now that's a concern, right? Where like these meds are so good for some people that we have to make sure they eat enough. Yes. The that's big drawback with these okay. medications is the cost though, right? And so one thing that you and I both work on in our free time, you know, as a hobby is like trying to improve coverage for these medications so people can get more access to them. But for people who insurances do not cover these meds, they're like more than a thousand dollars a month usually, right? So they can be pretty expensive. A skilled obesity physician sometimes will know different workarounds for that, but sometimes they just are cost prohibitive and not an option for people. So I think that 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 is the biggest challenge if if an insurance plan isn't covering it for a patient is that sometimes they're just they're not affordable if you don't have well, the coverage. most important yeah the most important thing to recognize is that you know unfortunately because of the bias and stigma against the against the disease of obesity right the coverage for these types of treatments is not part of the standard benefit within insurance plan so in order to cover those a company or an employer who's going to offer insurance or a state program like Medicare or Medicaid, you know, if they're going to offer, you know, this, this treatment, they have to sort of add it on, you know, to their plan. And that's where we have to get away from that in the country as, as you know, with all of your advocacy work, Carolyn, like, I mean, we have to make it so that it's just a standard benefit. Like we don't have to choose to cover breast cancer or we don't choose to cover multiple sclerosis. I agree so much. And and so if you are someone whose insurance doesn't cover this, like I think recognizing that that is a bias, right? It's not because the meds don't work. It's not because they're not good medications. It's because they're really, we've allowed there to be bias against this and we really haven't treated it like a disease. A few other things that I think are probably a little less commonly used. So we have another thing that looks like a med, but it isn't a med called plenity. It is these three little capsules. I should have had a demo with me where you, you drink these little capsules with a big glass of water before your meal and they literally become a hydrogel in your stomach and make you feel more full, right? And so it adds that feeling of fullness. So that is a newer thing that also has come out. It's not even considered a medicine because it's literally just like a fiber gel. It's, it's like having three cucumbers before you eat. That is for people who have a little less weight to lose. But, you know, really anyone whose BMI is over 25, so anyone who's in that, quote, overweight category qualifies for those. Um, and I, I kind of like those for people who, number one, don't feel that feeling of fullness. But if you are kind of like on the go and maybe normally you're able to eat salad or vegetables to get some of that, that fullness, but you're, you're traveling and like, you know, I think it can be helpful when you maybe can't use some of the nutritional strategies that could help with fullness. So that, that's kind of how I think of using that. But I know, I think you use that device a little bit more than I do. Tell me who you like that for. You know, I'm the same way as you. I mean, it really is. It's great because it's approved down to a BMI of 25, where most of our other medications, you need to have a BMI of 27 and have a comorbidity or have a BMI greater than 30 in order to qualify, you know, for adding medication. And when I say qualify, that means that, you know, the the potential benefit of treatment is greater than the risk that might exist, right? That's why we don't maybe recommend it for someone with a BMI of, of 22 that might has still have gained you know, 20, 30 pounds, because they used to have a BMI of 18, you know, when they were younger, right? So it doesn't mean that those people aren't any less worthy of treatment, you know, but the idea is that the risk benefit of treatment, right, and taking some sort of medication, that's what you have to weigh. Plenity is a very low risk 
type of treatment, right? So that's why it was allowed to be approved also down to 20, a BMI of 25. So it is very good for those people who've maybe put on weight, you know, over the years and are trying to get, get it down there, but it's not quite as serious of a problem, you know, as some patients who have a higher BMI. And, you know, we also can use it, like you mentioned, in combination with things. I think that's where it's good too, because, you know, it's really providing like a mechanical sensation of fullness, right? Filling up that void in your stomach, whereas some of the other medicines we've talked about are working on your brain, are working on your gut, you know, so they're actually like medically helping you, right? With your metabolism, if you will, you know, and so this one's more of a mechanical thing. And so again, you know, adding that in is just another treatment, another pathway to be attacking, right? Yeah. The other one that I I feel like I have to put on the list, but I've never once recommended, but it is an anti-obesity medication is Orlistat. You know, this was- I actually use it a fair amount. Do you? Okay, good, good. Then you can tell us, you know, what you like it for and who it's good for. Um, But Orlistat essentially limits the absorption of fat in the intestines. And so you literally absorb less of the calories from that. And then it, it kind of creates a little bit of side effect when you eat fatty foods. So it also kind of like, you know, almost teaches you like that was a food that had a lot of fat in it. And um, now you're, you're kind of uh, not feeling great from that. So who, who do you use this for? I can't wait to hear who you like it for. Well, one of the things is it's over the counter as another, you know, medicine called Ally. So it is available over the counter, although it's half the strength of the prescription form. And so I do think it is good, especially as an, again, as an additional uh, weight loss agent to add to our patients who are taking a GLP-1 that we talked about before, those injections like Saxenda and Wegovy, because those medications tend to constipate people. And if a person's getting constipated, the Orlistat or the Ally tends to make you a little more loose, right? As a side effect is, you know, people can get this, you know, looser, greasy diarrhea if they really eat something fatty. So, but again, it just sort of helps to counteract some of that effect. Plus it's working differently. Again, if you're going to add something, it should be doing something different and not necessarily just, you know, we don't add in any treatment of disease you know, we don't typically add a medicine that's doing this, working the same way, right? We pick a different pathway to activate, to treat the same disease. And so that's what that's doing is, is just get providing another pathway. So so combination with other medications is, is often when, when you think it's most useful. If they don't have coverage and if they, you know, it is an option for people, you know, that are, you know, that are following a lower fat meal plan, you do have to follow you know, a a lower fat meal plan, you know, which again means sometimes not eating some of the healthier fats that we tend to think of healthy. It doesn't mean that all fat, you know, fat in general is not unhealthy, like avocados and nuts and things like that. But you do have to minimize that, you know, over the long run, you know, if you're taking Orlistat, otherwise you'll get even more diarrhea. And then I want to talk about uh, two more medications that are not technically anti-obesity medications, but I think are in our toolbox as physicians. One is Vyvanse, which is lesdexphetamine. That is a medicine that's also used for ADHD. So some people may have heard of it for that, but it was approved several years ago now for binge eating disorder. I will have an upcoming podcast all about what binge eating disorder is and how we treat that. So I'm not going to go into a lot of details here other than to acknowledge its existence and that if someone, you know, 
truly has binge eating disorder, that can be a great medication. And then the last medication is metformin, which is also not an anti-obesity medication. It's a diabetes medication. But I kind of, you know, jokingly say that it's like the salt for obesity medicine. Like a lot of us tend to sprinkle a little bit of metformin onto these other medications as a combination because it helps with the insulin resistance that so many of our patients have. And in and of itself, people will often have like a maybe a 2% weight loss from metformin. It's not very strong, but a lot of times I see that it helps with the underlying issue of prediabetes or diabetes and allows my patients again to be successful in combination. So I think that's a medication that, you know, we also sometimes use often in combination with these other tools. I don't know what your thoughts are on metformin. Exactly. I mean, metformin is good, but the weight loss with metformin tends to be, again, there are people who are responders to that, you know, more so than others. I mean, it's not going to be on average as good as something like Wegovy, for example, or fentramine topiramate, you know, but it doesn't mean you don't try. Like we said, there are multiple things that we can try and we, we a lot of times pull out what we can try, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So one thing we probably should have talked about in the beginning, hopefully people made it this far because we covered a lot. Thank you so much for being gracious with your time, Dr. Fitch, is that these medications are for long-term use, right? So in the first podcast, I laid some of the ground rules and I said, whatever you do to keep weight, lose weight, you have to keep doing to keep it off, right? Whatever you do to lose weight, you have to keep doing. You can't just do a 30-day fix, right? That's not a real thing. And so these medications really are for long-term use. And I think that is something that a lot of people have a little bit of a hard time, you know, wrapping their head around. But when we think about obesity as a disease and when we recognize we're fighting biology, it, it really makes sense that these are going to be a long-term thing that someone is going to have to utilize as part of their treatment for many people. The question I had for you on this is, do you think that there are people that, that that's an exception for? Do you think there are some people who may not need the medications long-term? Well, I think it's an excellent question and it, and it, we're going to need more research on it because I always tell patients, because a lot of people are like resistant to that. I don't want to take something long term. And I said, well, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Right. Cause I mean, it's not like you're addicted to them or something, you know, like you can't not take them. Right. It's not like life That's or death. Point. You know, if you yeah, go the, off the worst them. case scenario is that you regain the weight, you go sort of yeah. back to where, where you were going before you took and the we, medicine. We wouldn't want that to happen too, because we also know if you regain weight, it's harder to lose it again. So we want to try to keep it off, you know, at all costs. So we want to recognize that. And that means if we have a trial off medication, just like you might have a trial off of an antidepressant or a medicine for anxiety, for example, you know, a lot of people need those long term, you know, for their life because of their biochemical differences in their in their brains. Right. And they need those medicines to be successful and, you know, to feel like normal, you know, in their life. Right. And that's not wrong, but some people can come off of them. And then, you know, as the weight maybe starts to creep back up a little bit, you get back on it, right? Understanding that it's going to be something that you need long-term. And so, again, I think the nature of it at this point is you need it long-term, right? And and you have to sort of, you know, come to some acceptance of that. But you also can recognize that you can always try, but I wouldn't try and then let yourself regain, you know, 20, 30 Right, pounds, right. Do it know? very controlled, right? If it turns out that as soon as you are stopping the medication, you're regaining five, 10 pounds, like maybe time to, to regroup and restart that medicine. Or if you didn't like that medicine, look at a different one that maybe would have less side effects. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope this was helpful for people. Feel free to share it with your doctor. If they are not familiar with these medications, they can check out some of my resources at helpyourpatientsloseweight.com, which is my site for physicians. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Fitch, for joining us and for everything you do for the obesity community and to help people get healthier, which is what we are all about at the end of day is like, this is all about health, right? And you too. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Francavilla Show, where we learn about all things related to weight and health. If you loved this podcast, make sure to leave those five-star reviews and share this podcast with a friend or loved one. If you have a topic about weight and health you want me to tackle, head over to the website, thedrfrankavillashow.com to submit your question. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss next week's episode. Take care. Take care.